Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 247 on a Tuesday, the 2nd of April, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And on this week's show, where we'll be careful not to accidentally reveal our future plans, we'll be discussing why retirement is such a messy thing in Japan. Also, we'll talk about how remote access to systems is unwelcome to some, and we recommend watching an Italian man hold a pencil. But first, smidgen of follow-up. And Nissan, go. Yep. Now, it turns out that the external independent governance body that was set up by Nissan towards the end of back, back end of last year has confirmed that Nissan's CEO, Hiroto Saikawa, did actually, in fact, sign off Carlos Ghosn's retirement package. <laughs> I, when I saw this, I laughed out loud at it. Gen- it was genuine <laughs> moment about the ridiculousness of this. But he didn't understand what he was signing, if we remember what the Japanese police confirmed, or prosecutors. Yeah, that's not, which, as I said, isn't good enough. No, I, I don't feel that's an upstanding defence particularly not as uh, the other article that is in the show notes around this area you found, mm-hmm. was that uh, Saikawa is actually talking about not retiring now and is going to stay on for three years. It is yep. alleged or Yeah, and that one's from the truth about cars, and it's from the start of March. Um, I can't remember how I came across it. I think somebody else was discussing it on Twitter, and I thought, wait a minute, how did we miss that? But the signing one, it was like, whoa, what a what? Just because we said that that must have been the case. Yes, that was some time ago. Yeah, that did not feel right or look right when we covered it. And then, yeah, so just silly, silly silliness. The spidey sense was strong with that one. It was. It was. Right, well, on to new news and something that was a bit of, in this time of doom, gloom and disaster, pretty much, uh, some joy that was brought into the world, Alan. Yes, yes, it's unusual for us to cover something like this so far up the schedule, but but we decided that we'd probably do it. Well, Andrew did anyway. And that's that the UK hosted the world's largest Volvo gathering at the weekend at Bruntingthorpe Aero, Aerofield, Aerodrome? Airfield, I think it is. Not far from me. I, I wasn't there. I, it was mother, Mother's Day and my mother was actually south of the border, so I had to go be all family friendly. There's fantastic selection in the slideshow, which seems to work. (laughs) I have been right through this autocar slideshow, and it's worked right the way through. hasn't messed up at all. That's using Chrome on a Mac, if anybody cares. And, yeah, uh, well over 600 cars. It's over 1,000. Was it over 1,000? It was over 1,000. They they needed 600. They needed over 600, and it'll be a couple of weeks till Guinness uh, Guinness World Records can confirm it. Mm-hmm. But the feeling is that they have actually beaten the world record yeah, because they did have them all moving at once. There are some cracking Volvos in here. I mean, Cybrow, uh, friend of the show, uh, his S90 limousine is in, and it just confirms what I've always thought about limousines, that they are, in fact, perfect family transport vehicles. You don't mm-hmm. need one of these massive vans or you know a seven-seat SUV. What you need is a limousine. Well, you know what, a six-seat limousine which takes up even more space <laughs> but there's like there's things like the uh the, the volvo's uh 480s and I don't, i'm just reminded of what i what gorgeous little shape i think they are they were, a, they were a disaster how nice the c30s look as well c30s i've always liked but the the 480s were 
an absolute disaster. Oh, I know. I know. As a, as a as a mode of transport, it was hopeless. But they, I thought they looked great. Mm-hmm. So so there's plenty in here. There's there's lots of variety, including V60 Polestar, which is one of my favourite cars. I do like yeah. V60 Polestar. Do click through on the show notes to uh, to have a little look at that. Shall we return to Earth with a bump? Yes, let's let's do that. Now, Alan, do you remember this little thing called Dieselgate? We may have mentioned it once or twice, but yes, you've but possibly I, forgotten the details of I it. I think we got away with it, yes. Yeah. Well, on the back of that, the EU tightened up testing regimes, and that's where we got the WLTP emission testing. Mm-hmm. Now, it turns out that the European Commission has been forced to tighten up this test regime already because there are reports that car manufacturers are gaming the system to produce higher CO2 emissions than they actually do Mm -hmm. because they're running them in sport mode as opposed to eco. They are disabling the on... This is alleged, by the way, by uh, Transport and Environment, who we have mentioned a few times. They're a little bit... Yes. Uh, Technical term. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is with a little bit of pinch of salt or do your own mm-hmm. investigation. But Motion Research and Automotive News have picked this up and the European Commission is actually tightening the regime. So there must be something in it somewhere. But whether it is because of the conclusions that transport and environment come to, I cannot confirm. So No. Uh, if just... Well, we well we've got the car industries here. If you are doing this, stop it, stop it now. Because are you not fed up of the anti-car narrative? Are you not fed up of how every diesel in the world, even the really nice clean ones that are out now, are the work of the devil? Are you not fed up of how hard your life of making a car is becoming? Then stop doing stuff like this. Otherwise, there is no trust. At all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just about being earned back by many manufacturers. But yeah, just just please don't. Just yeah. just don't. Because then we have to cover more of this. Yeah, and quite <laughs> frankly, I'm bored with it. So let's move on. Yes. There's an interesting one that we were sent, wasn't it, Alan? Well, yeah. Uh, Stuart Coulson, uh, Infosec expert, Twitter, etc., uh, tagged us uh, specifically in a story about... Specifically in the Daily Mail story. I don't know. Are we going to have a link to the Daily Mail story? Are we just going to have a link to this to the tweet? No, we will have a link to Stuart's tweet. So if you wish to go further, you can do it that way. I clicked the link to the Daily Mail story so you didn't have to. However, it was about police. And it wasn't particularly clear in the story until you're well down. It was about that it was police in the US remotely disabling a stolen Hyundai Santa Fe which is, a, of course, you've been listening to every single episode, so you'll have listened to the special edition where Andrew had one here in the UK. But it is a seven-seat SUV. So this actually happened in Nashville, but it's not mentioned till till quite far down. What happened was that there was a police chase. Someone had stolen this Hyundai. They were making their way away from from the scene, uh, and the police were able to to slow down and stop the the car in the middle of the freeway. Yep. Thinking back to last week's show, <laughs> I thought, uh oh, alarm bells started going. So I I I gave Hyundai UK a, a quick shout, 
and to say, well, can this happen in the UK and how? It turns out that this is this is US only. So if I, I'm going to quote quite a bit from the, the email here. So, so Hyundai in the US come with a system called Blue Link, the Hyundai Connected Services app, uh, which is a bit like GM's OnStar. Blue Link lets you do a number of things that the customer can, and the wording here is can, choose to enable, which includes a system called Vehicle Safeguard, which will send an alert to your phone if the vehicle goes outside a predefined area, so it, it's, it's geofenced, operates outside of certain time parameters, or if an alarm goes off. An additional feature is the stolen vehicle mode, which sends GPS data to the police to locate the vehicle and, in extreme circumstances, will allow the police to gradually reduce engine power and bring the vehicle to a controlled stop. Note, gradually reduce engine power in there. If the police decide to do this, numerous warnings are sent to the driver before the engine starts to reduce power. Now, because... Hyundai know what Andrew's like. They make a How dare an you. explicit How dare point. You. It's mentioned twice in here. <laughs> explicit point is made that this is opt-in by the customer and the, the system has the connected care remote package activated. If customers haven't opted in, access to the system isn't possible. That's only in the US. In the UK, UK spec, Santa Fe, or any other vehicle doesn't have blue link it is us only there is no way you can access one of our vehicles by 3g stroke wi-fi stroke app as we don't offer connected services so there isn't a way police could access a vehicle there are third-party ways you can do this but what happened here and what has been because this this tweet by shirt has been retweeted lots and lots and lots which is one of the reasons why I'm, i'm keen to to really sort of clear this up although of course normally people won't follow up on these because it's far more fun to retweet the the dramatic so it can't happen in the uk it can't be done in the uk that story us only Mm -hmm. despite the fact it was on dailymail.co.uk because you know mail online yeah i'm ruling my eyes in a dramatic fashion for people who can't see me well they might see the picture later they might see the picture later so i thought that was worth uh i thought that was worth worth highlighting and double checking with with Hyundai about that that Daily Mail story, and I've not seen it anywhere else. Uh, it's only but, in American publications, which other than the Daily Mail, yeah. yeah, I've not been able to get into because they say, "Oh, we really love our European viewers, but unfortunately, we can't sort this website out for you." <laughs> yes, well, we're unfortunately, almost, we're too lazy to actually. We're have almost you. a year in, and you're saying you can't do it. <laughs> It's it's why I stopped my subscription to Car and Driver. Mm. I could get the magazine, sure, but the stories were online as well, and I wanted access to those. Anyway, moving on, to, <laughs> linking us nicely with GDPR, we do seem to have be, to have become the vehicular data breach podcast. But here we go. Right, Toyota has announced a second security breach in the last five weeks. To be clear, as Alan was clear there with the high end story, this is affecting. Toyota in the Asia Pacifica area. Hmm. Toyota Japan say hackers have had access to details of 3.1 million Toyota and Lexus car owners. However, again, to be extra clear here, the servers they got access to have had no information about the financial side of the customer's uh, details. Hmm. Toyota won't say what the information was, 
but they are clear that it is nothing to do with any payments or financial side of things. This hack was on the back of another hack in Australia late February. So industry experts think that it is a Vietnamese uh, hacking group called APT32, which uh, target automotive, the automotive industry. Now, the suggestion was that the Australian breach was to get a backdoor into Toyota Japan. I don't know if you're all aware, but uh, there was a there was a big breach in Target several years ago, Target Shop of America, and how they got breached was the hackers got into the company that did that controlled their air conditioning. So because they're all connected in the networks, they got in through that back door. And the suggestion was that this was a similar thing to get mm-hmm. into uh, Toyota Japan. Also was announced on the same day as the Toyota Japan breach was that there were breaches at Toyota Vietnam and Toyota Thailand, but no details have been given on those. So all this information is really important to people and all these companies keep all our information and they may need to think about how much, why and all the rest of it, which is what GDPR, GDPR. is part of. It's, you only keep essential stuff and a lot of that stuff about the customer's database would be essential, you know, like who they are, where they live, <laughs> you know, what car they bought, that sort of thing. But how much else was swept up in that that they need to keep? It's just a it's just a reminder that all this info is highly valuable. Mm-hmm. It is. Should we move back to, to almost pure motoring again? Let's try. Let's try. There was a story the other day, again, it's a Major Gav one, uh, for, on motoring research. And it's talking about an energy company called GridServe. Now, GridServe are looking to build more than 100 electric forecourts across the UK. So the idea is to put in some new electric charging stations all around the place so that, so that of course, you can charge your car. Now, the idea is that these will offer rapid charging up to about 500 kilowatts cars and vans like commercials provided your car can support that of course there might also be much heavier duty ones for for cars uh, for not for cars for buses and hgvs now these have been designed in partnership with arup the engineering company so lots of civil and lots of civil engineering done by arup the idea is that they'll include coffee shops, supermarkets, a lounge with high-speed internet, and what are they calling, I love this quote, an education centre and hub to explore a broad range of electric vehicle solutions, which seems strange because the people using them will be people who already have electric vehicles. But never mind. Yes, that bit confused me slightly. Yes, so there are two things that these remind me of. Uh, the first is when I was in Geneva, I ended up speaking to speaking to a chap from EVUP, which is the Swiss fuel. I talked a bit about this. I talked about hydrogen, but the Swiss fuel distribution people, and they were showing off almost exactly this same concept with a gym and a you know a gym and a coffee shop and all these things whilst your car charges. So, as far as I'm concerned, this isn't a new idea. I mean, I could ex- explore it in augmented reality uh, at the Geneva show. But the other thing it reminds me of is motorway service stations, at least here in the UK, yep. in their infancy. 
Well, yeah. I think how they're going again, though. I think how they're going again when you've got like the Marks and Spencers food you halls still in got there. W. H. Smith and all those, and Burger King and all this. Yeah, because they're lounge areas, stuff. aren't they? The, the Burger they're King, they're not lounge and areas. Rum, they're, Harry Rums and fish and chip smell. They're ruddy. They're ruddy awful. Now some of them are going far more lounge area, like the you know they're all having an enlarged Starbucks or a Costco. Yeah. So they are going towards towards that, but. But I keep think, looking at these and thinking, well, what they really need is a nice tower like Lancaster Forton with a Bernie Inn up there <laughs> and views over the, uh, you know, views over over the the surroundings, so the redestination, which is what they were originally. The artist sketch, it's it's nearly that that's at the top of the the article yes, in you, in the. Oh, can... I love these because I used to have to be involved in these architectural images and it's they've grabbed some people they've thrown them in these positions they will never be in because it'll never end up looking like what they say it is <laughs> they've got these wonderful it's the usual story they've got these wonderful spindly trees yep there uh, and some you know some light shrubbery and Near solar panels. Uh, <laughs> and so so panels on the roof <laughs> and all these kind of things and what they miss out is the joys of motorway service station car parks where the the rats are running between the uh, running between the sort of half dead shrubs and in between the, the 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 discarded Burger King wrappers, such are the delights. And the cigarette bin is overflowing because nobody's cleaned it for a week, and all the rest of it—it's <laughs> just awful. <laughs> There's a a day's in the down the side of it as well. Yes, where they charge by the hour. Yeah, we're car. Mm-hmm. We've, we've on the motorway. God, you, how did you know that? I didn't know that. I never even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like no, there's no need for that. <laughs> Yuck! Uh, see, we told people we were in a wonderful mood before we started. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Cynicism has perhaps just come out a little bit much there. <laughs> as you, <laughs> as you can tell, I think that these are a wonderful idea and a wonderful ideal, more than an idea, I suppose. And I'll be interested to see if any of them ever happen. Especially in this format. I like the fact that they're going to be on busy routes as opposed to the motorways. Because, Mm. you know, they're not going to build brand new motorway services anymore. I mean, it's what we said when we we did Charging Around Britain. Coffee shops and uh, supermarkets or places like that should be going out of their way to get as many chargers in place as possible. to To get people, either those that know or those that will soon know, oh, I'm having a coffee whilst my car's charging or I'm having Mm. a meeting whilst my car's charging. And it's getting people just to to have that little switch in the, in the mindset. It's it's more a case of I'm charging my car whilst I'm having a meeting. Yeah. 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 Where the meeting is the primary part of this. Yes, exactly. Uh, Construction, by the way, of the first two sites, York and Hull later this will should start a later this year. Yeah. I've got a, uh, I'll be reminding myself of that particular joy uh, next week. Because I have an EV coming next week, and I am I am disproportionately chuffed by the fact it's an EV. It's the first time I've had really any time with one since charging around Britain. I do feel it's been too long. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous, huh? <laughs> I want oh yeah, I want to go see the try the new because there is one a similar one to this by Charge Master down at Milton Keynes, and I do intend on making a fun trip to Milton Keynes from that. Mm-hmm. Which is a great place, by the way, for electric cars, because, uh, frankly, there are there are so many. You trip over charges. It's trying to find a space that isn't an EV charging spot is, is the hard bit in Milton Keynes. Anyway, I'll stop waffling on about electric cars. Should we talk about people being nicked by the police? 
If we must. Okay. Well, uh, Dr. Adam Snow, on behalf of the RAC Foundation, has investigated the UK to see what are the numbers of people who have been caught speeding in the various police areas around the UK. And it turns out there's a few disparities in numbers. For example... Disparities even, sorry. Yes, that, that too. <laughs> uh, for example, in 2017-2018, there was 1,191 road users caught speeding in Wiltshire. Mm -hmm. Yet in Somerset, there was 199,337. <laughs> this is weird, this, this story. And I don't understand how that how you can actually make. I don't understand how you can compare these numbers from for, from force to force and area to area. And and I don't know. My my question would be, what are they including in speed? Is this being pulled over by the police, or is this speed cameras, or is this everything? It's it's not even that because it's it's. Because certain a certain amount of it is how easy is it to police, you know. So if you go to somewhere like Norfolk, there's barely a motorway. Mm -hmm. If there's any, I can't remember. I think there might be some dual carriageway now. They've almost caught up on 1950, whenever. But then you compare that with other parts of the country, which are crisscrossed by motorways and have millions and millions of cars going through every day, even if they don't live there. So you can't even say, well, it was people, you know, there's there's this many vehicle owners in this area, therefore the numbers should be higher or lower or whatever. You can't even do that. Well, Somerset, you know, I'd be betting it rockets in summer and Easter. <laughs> well, that's it. That's the, well, the other part is what's the, is I mean, most of this, to be honest, there are some numbers and each one I get to when I go, so what? Because I can't see the context, and I can't see how numbers are comparable in this. Mm. It's an interesting article, but I don't think it's a very useful one. I, I mean, the prime point of all this is don't speed, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it's a bit like the hoo-ha, because we didn't really touch it last week um, because we were talking about Volvo for so long. But so many people got really, really agitated and exercised about speed limiters when what they were basically being told was, and and I know we did the week before when it was, was talked about, and I said, look, I'm a bit uncomfortable about it, but I wasn't really worried about that. There were other things I felt more to be worried about, but we're basically being told, don't speed. Yeah, it, it's, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminded me of when the police were saying, well, I can't remember what the lead up to it was. And they were saying, well, what we're going to do is we're going to turn on all the air, on all the speed cameras on the M1. Yeah, that was a false Twitter rumor. Yeah, and we're going to set them at the limit. I know every all these people are going oh, and making a big deal out of it, which is just like, well, surely you shouldn't be speeding anyway. Mm. Not that you can on the M1 at the minute, to be honest, because it's about thirty miles of fifty mile an hour speed limit. But you're making a big deal about that. Suddenly, people are going to stop you doing something that you shouldn't be doing anyway. Yeah. I'm kicking so, off because they're telling me I should obey the law. Yeah, I know, and it's in, it's in all like, this information. There's other stuff for us to be worried about. That's not that's not the thing to worry yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, us no. being naughty is not the right thing to be worried about. <laughs> no, crazy, isn't it? It's that it's quite easy to solve. Don't be naughty. But but I think what what it does actually show a little bit and does remind us all is the priorities different areas of the country have and their ability yeah. to focus on, say, traffic offences. Because I know, for example, round where I live, there is one traffic police officer for the oh. whole of 
the portion of the county I live in. Traffic police for Scotland are all centralised for the whole of Scotland. It's a stupid, ridiculous setup. But yeah. So, uh, police funding. What do you expect is going to happen? <laughs> Yep, yeah, exactly. And speeding is an easy one to, to catch people, and it's not that the police get the money from the speed fines. No, no, they don't. Okay, let's be clear on that. Yes. Anyway, Guilt Minute. Guilt Minute is back after a three-week absence. Yes, I want to say yes. Yes, Guilt Minute is back. That point in the show, and we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so very much. We really do appreciate it. Don't say thank you often enough. We understand, of course, not everyone has the ability to do that, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast-playing platform of your choice. If you've done all that, then you're wonderful. But how about accosting a friend, preferably one who you think would enjoy this, <laughs> yes, and telling them about it, <laughs> taking their phone from them, subscribing on their behalf, and spreading the word that way. If you, if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so? That way, you make sure that the our show will arrive direct into your device of choice without any anxiety and worry that you may miss out on the next amazing installment of... Dieselgate, Gurngate, anything else that we might discuss. Designer's mood board. Yes. Yep. Thank you very much to our recent new Patreons. We are yes. very much appreciative of appreciative of your contribution and help. And I believe Andrew's got in touch with the competition winners from last week. Yes, just waiting well for the prints and everybody knows what's going on. And I'm keeping cool. everyone updated. That's good. I'm glad that they know what's going on because I have no idea. <laughs> Need to know basis. Need to know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, should we talk a, a, a little bit of um, not that surprising Formula E news? There are some changes going on at Panasonic Jaguar Racing. Nelson Piquet Jr. has left the team by mutual agreement. Yes. Please, everyone, click through on the E Racing 365 article because there is the fantastically wonderful usual bland statement from both parties and all that sort of stuff that says things. <laughs> Following dis discussions after Sanya, Nelson and ourselves have reflected on the position of the team. <laughs> Regrettably, it's been agreed that he will leave Pant and Sonic Jaguar Racing and take up other opportunities he's been offered. <laughs> uh, it's just Just awful. to put this into some context, it is, it's, it's like... Like, just fill in the ready name in the form, would you? And then HR will be quite happy with it. Uh, he had crashed out of three races in a row uh, and was not doing wonderfully well. No. He's going to be replaced by Alex Lynn yep. in, in the number three car, there for the re certainly for the rest of the season. Yeah, so good luck to Alex and good luck to Jaguar. I hope they get towards the pointy end a bit because they've... They've been struggling. They have this year, yeah, whereas they did really quite well mm. last year. So. Yeah. So good luck, folks. But uh, WRC news, because Corsica was echoing to the the howl of WRC exhaust last week. Yes, uh, well, jokingly said on Twitter, well, I wonder who's going to make it through this war of attrition. And yet again, WRC delivers. And it's yes. talking about emotional highs and lows. Um, on On the first day... On the first stage, after setting the pace 
comfortably setting the pace on the shakedown day. Chris Meek gets a puncture, which pretty much ended his charge for the for the race in the first mm-hmm. few minutes. Yeah. Loeb, he still came ninth, though. Yeah. Loeb broke his rear suspension, mm-hmm. and that was that wasn't much didn't look like much of an impact to snap the back of the suspension. So comments earlier in the season about Hyundai's reliability. Mm. Fragility more than anything yeah, else. So, yeah. mm. But Meek came back from after that puncture and he was super quick in stages two and three. Uh, stage five, whilst clawing back time, he's trying really hard. He just ran a little bit wide on a corner, spun out and then broke his suspension in the rear. So that was that was definitely it, game over in the uh, in the Yaris. Uh, but towards the end of end of day one, with Evans up, up at the pointy end fighting with Tanek, Evans came up right behind Meek on the last stage. And mm-hmm. because the organizers didn't spread them out sufficiently, they didn't give him the three minutes. And Meek didn't Ooh. Meek didn't even know he was there. Uh-huh. Actually, Evans was really mature because he didn't try and dart past him. Because they were no. really narrow tarmac roads. So you, technically you could get two cars past, but if you're not expecting anyone to be there, then you're not going to be sitting to one side of the road. No. So it would have just been an accident. Eventually, Meek did see him, so he managed to get past. And at the end of the race, uh, well, I mean, it, well, there have been the TV interviews. Evans uh, was saying, well, I just hope that the organizers see this and they deal with it in the appropriate manner. I don't want to say anything more. But Meek came over to apologize and say, look, I just didn't even know you were there. I thought we were given a three-minute gap. I'm so sorry. And then when he was interviewed after, he was like, I'm so sorry. So, you know, so, and, and Evan said, look, I know he's not going to do that deliberately. He's a nice guy and all this. And, but the organizers mm-hmm. fessed up to their mistake and it gave Evans the same time as Tanek, which meant Evans ended the day one in the lead of the overall. Uh, cool. Day two got going. Um, Lowe went off in stage nine. <laughs> So he lost another 40 seconds. Um, and these were only minor little mistakes, it looked like, but it just well, made the difference. Such a difference because he, he went off. It, it's like he got his tire just on the wrong side of uh, of the road and it meant that he went straight on uh, into, uh, into a ramp hmm. into a field and it took him ages to turn around then. So that's where he lost his 40 seconds. Uh, Ogier, who couldn't get the C3, the, Citroen had a bad weekend. Ogier rescued them, really. Well, they still came in second, though. That's the thing. Well, I know, but I'll get to that. But it was day one. He was like, I am trying everything, and this is awful, basically. So he was saying, this is just awful. Got to stage nine, and whatever happened, the setup, or he just clicked with the car, but he was motoring through stage nine. Uh, Tannock took the lead at the end of stage nine by 2.3 seconds. And then on stage 10, Meek's back flying again. <laughs> he wins the stage. Ogier gets closer to Sordo, who was fourth. So uh, Ogier is up to uh, fifth at this point. Uh, Nouveau suddenly got his uh, I-20 working for him. So he was he was flying as well. Uh, and Evans beat Tannock in that stage, which meant he reduced the deficit to 1.6 seconds. So... In the eleventh, yet another twist in the tale of Rally Corsica. I'm not sure I can keep up with the t- the, the twisting and turning of this. Tanek gets a puncture, and that mm. threw him down to seventh mm. after changing the tire. Uh, Evans is first, but Nouveau is flying now, so he's only eleven seconds behind in second. Ogier um, had a mechanical issue, 
which he got around by driving incredibly fast and ended up third <laughs> on the stage. She was. Uh, at the end of stage 12, uh, Nouveau manages to get 4.5 seconds ahead of Evans. So he's gone from second into first now. Nouveau had a monster stage. Evans is interviewed, and it's, it's interesting to see the interview because he's at... I have no idea where we've lost the time. I thought I'd done a really good thing, but I've not. I, I don't get this. And the look on his face was, I need to go and look at data because what's gone wrong here? Uh, he, mm-hmm. he couldn't see where it went. And then stage 13 was the final was the final stage. And this is where even more drama, <laughs> just, just when we didn't think our hearts could take it, or perhaps our tear ducts, Meek is saved his tires to try and get maximum points on special stages. And he was like a rocket. Do go and look at the Red Bull um, highlights because in the in the Sunday highlights they have they have like a ghost to show where the different people are on the on the same route at the All same right. time. So it's a bit like uh-huh. a in a in a computer game. Yeah, and it shows Meek and how far he is ahead of everyone else. Because at this time Meek is almost off the screen here, and everyone's sort of. Just coming in the other side of the screen here. He was he was just like a rocket, absolute rocket. It was a brilliant driving. Nouveau comes in and he's he swears in the interview because he's like, no, no, I haven't done enough. This is rubbish. Blah blah blah. He'd done enough to get a uh, to get second. Uh, he clawed it back because he halfway through the stage he was he'd lost a load of time. So he managed to get into second behind Meek. And he's like, oh, I've not done enough. Oh God, this is awful. And then all of a sudden the commentators are like, oh my God, Evans. He's 19 seconds down. What's going on? And then get a picture in front right tire puncture. It was, mm-hmm. and everybody, absolutely everybody is gutted for him. The commentators can hardly speak. They're that upset. You can see the team principals. Everyone goes up and gives Ford a big hug and is like, that was yours. You are so unlucky. And and obviously Evans is absolutely distraught at the end of this you know you can see they got pictures from in the camera while he's driving along and you can see the look on his face he just can't believe this has happened and it's everybody says well that was his Tanik put out a brilliant tweet saying i know this is called racing but that was your race you did everything right you're so unlucky but your time will come and stuff like that so it was oh peaks and troughs emotional turmoil god dear i've had to i've had to get through at least a couple of hankies watching the end of that that was that was awful. Oh dear! But a great weekend for, for a great weekend for Hyundai. Citroen yes. rescued thanks to Ogier. They got rescued some points because their other driver, whose name I can't remember just at the minute, he had an awful, absolutely awful weekend. Esapeka Lappi. Toyota in the end managed to claw some points back as well, so they did okay. But what it means overall is Nouveau's in first by two points ahead of Ogier and Tanix dropped from first to third. <sighs> You're exhausted just going through that, it's, aren't you? Brilliant. I'm exhausted listening, to be honest. It was absolutely brilliant, though. I'm glad I'm just a fan and I don't actually have anything invested in this because <laughs> I don't think I could take it. <laughs> the, I mean, I always think that the cars look fantastic in the course careers. Oh, the, the seeds. The, everything looked amazing going on the tarmac well because it's because it's tarmac yeah. then they've got you know the wide sticky tires they're slammed right down uh, and the lights fantastic in corsica yeah. and it just everything looks brilliant it's the closest we'll ever see to you know your your car on the road or 
if they did a sort of tarted up C3 or, you know, the the, the Fiesta ST, it's the closest they get it's to close... us, us, us able to go, I can see the connection. Because the rest of the time they're either on ice or in a wood through mud or something like that. So, you know, it's <laughs> it's not as easy. But actually on a road, going through towns, going past, you know, villages and stuff like that, it's just, oh, incredible incredible place to do a rally it's, it's like touring cars on the road yes yeah. yeah that's exactly what i was thinking it was the race on sunday sell on monday absolutely yeah Quite anyway the plan anyway designer's mood board you mentioned it earlier you teased everyone earlier that was an ex- extended racing report this week Whew. uh designer's mood board uh everything is being shuffled around at at bmw hmm it's an odd one, this. I I feel a bit odd. It is rather unusual because the new head of design at, or chief designer at BMW, is being sideways to be head of design at Rolls-Royce. Which, of course, isn't really sideways because Rolls-Royce is so incredibly prestigious and all these kind of things. Uh, but still, it's, 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 an, it's only Rolls-Royce as opposed to the whole BMW group. Yes. So... That's Yosef Caban. Only just after a year of him being... Two years and one month. Yeah. Two years and one month. And he's ex, he was ex-Skoda, brought in to much fanfare, and, and then this uh, as head of BMW Design. So he has been, he has been moved to, to, to Rolls-Royce uh, to replace Giles Taylor, who's off to, to oversee Honky uh, Chinese... I know, I know. Luxury division of one of the Chinese automakers. I've now lost who is replacing him. That is uh, Dimaggio Dukek. Oh, this is why I got this this one, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It was going to be me. It's going to be Dukek. Yeah, I think. Dimaggio Dukek. I apologise. I imagine he's Slovakian or similar. Yes. Yes. Uh, and he was formerly head of, formerly chief designer for BMW I and M divisions, which of course are the opposite ends of the spectrum, which is a bit weird to put together anyway. Uh, and now he's going to take over for the whole the whole group. I mean, the thing is that we've not actually seen any of any of Caban's work come through. He's only been there two years. No, so he's, he's not been able to do anything. Yeah, it's it's all the stuff that was already in the process. Yeah, so all the gr- horrible, gaping, stupid grills, which don't, which mostly are, at least a third of each of them isn't grill; it's just blocked off permanently, which is the most offensive part of it, to be honest. Mm. Of a number of offensive parts of BMW grills was no seriously, it's just just <laughs> gross. But but it's not his work. No, but the, to be to be fair, when what was the last BMW that? No, no, it's nothing to do with him. This is this is. There's a second article here from Driven to Write, which is actually written by Auto Dictat, who we've yeah, we've put forward right. his stuff before because no. we we quite like it. But he doesn't pull any punches. Uh, let's put it that way. <laughs> and he goes on to explain here that Caban's mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the new three series. The X7, the 7 Series facelift, none of this. But all these cars that have come out recently from uh, BMW, certainly none of the designers have been complimentary about the designs coming out. And there's been open mockery from us muggles on some of it. 
I mean, like the like you said, there the grill on the seven series is just. I wouldn't mind if ridiculous. it was all real. That's the thing. Yeah, if if it had a purpose, but it just to yeah. No. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I, I would recommend that you read this other article as well because he goes on to explain how it was how it seems quite unfair on Cabal mm-hmm. and, and suggests possibly that it actually won't have affected his stock as it were. As a designer, no, but probably reflect yeah. worse on BMW. Can I bounce that slightly by saying that I was beside one of the new Z4s in traffic the other day, last Friday. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked really good. Okay. I was quite impressed when I saw it in the flesh at Geneva, but actually seeing it, you know, on the road. Where it's meant to be. Where it's meant to be. Well, that's it. It makes such a difference. Context. Where it's meant to be. I actually thought it looked really, really good in context. So, and I also like the 8 Series as well. I've seen a couple of them around, and I think that they look really good i i need to see that in the flesh because the pictures don't do it justice honestly they don't underwhelm me massively to the point of oh my god i think that's no but it's it's, so i need i need to see that because i've heard so many people say when they've got near it oh i really like this so i i want to see that it's very handsome yeah which i can't say about the z4 i prefer the a3 so yeah so that's Mm -hmm. the thing there's balance balance uh bbc styly or something Mm, no we did actual balance (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, Diane, finally, come on, because we've got lots of waffling this week. Sticking with designers, a friend of the show, Matteo Licata, or the uh, website of Roadster Life, also now has a YouTube channel. Roadster-life.com. Yes, he's actually taking us through uh, how to sketch certain cars. So he's he's giving us some lessons. So for people like me, who used to wield a pencil out of fun, and do enjoy that sort of thing. It's absolutely brilliant. And of course, Matteo is so infectiously enthusiastic as well. It's it's just wonderful to listen to as as well as watch what's going on. You don't on. even it's have to watch stuff. it. It's just, it's I mean they're not very long, but it's soothing just listening to Matteo. It really is. It's wonderful. Wonderful. So I've got a link in the show note to the three videos he's got on his YouTube channel. So we thoroughly recommend and endorse subscribing to Roadster Life on YouTube. And so go click through that and then tell Matteo that you've done that and that you enjoy his mm-hmm. stuff. I've just done it here from the podcast account as well, podcast YouTube account. I can see it's just gone up to 75. On yes, there. that was me. <laughs> or us even. <laughs> yes. No, it's great. Go ha- go have a little go have a little watch. Really great. Even though one of the cars he draws is a Carmen Gear, which lots of people say they like, but I've never found attractive. But I'm probably just weird like that. I like the lines of that. I would I wouldn't own one, but I like no. the lines. Well, no, just don't. I just don't get the Carmen okay. Gear. I'm just a bit weird like that. Parish notes: the Friday promised rear view appeared today, thanks to life. Yes. And things. Sorry about that, everyone. Yeah, the. Well, I'm not blaming you. No, just, <laughs> I've burnt the house and the family yes. down so that they can't be infectious again. <laughs> if you've got any comments on that, write to Mr. A. Clues, The Plague Pit, The Northwest yes. of England, England. <laughs> Turn left at Earby Dragons. Yeah, something like that. That's what it feels like. <laughs> on the map. Uh, so there's a review out with uh, Graham Davison who is a friend of mine uh, and and a technologist with a sort of decidedly car slant. Um, it only came yeah. out this afternoon. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I will try to listen to it on the train tomorrow. We cover an awful lot of 
things, actually, because Graham's had such a truly fascinating career mm-hmm. and the stuff he's been involved in. And it, it just prompted me to ask some questions and to get me thinking. And the, the stories he tells are amazing. And the cars he's had. Yeah. That, that, the, the segment on the cars was, I was sad that we got to the end, yeah. frankly, <laughs> of all his cars. So I, I think you'll all enjoy it. But then we've got things like um, electrified vehicles. We've got Formula E. We've got Formula One in there as well. So um, yeah, we cover a lot of ground. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah, so he's a wonderful, wonderful person to to, to, to chat to because he's one of those people that I get in conversation with and all of a sudden we've lost 45 minutes at least. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and there was a Suzuki Swift. Oh no, Suzuki. I can't say it now. Suzuki Swift Sports Special Edition uh, was the last review star one, wasn't it? Special, Special edition, edition. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So uh, don't forget to go and have a wee a listen to those as well. Well, that's it for the week. Don't forget between now and next time, give us any feedback. Share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, don't forget about our patron, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please, please leave reviews, ratings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whichever podcast app you use. It really does matter. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you shall find me there. And Alan, if people want to get in touch with you and ask perhaps for me not to do 45 minutes on the roundup of the next WRC round, <laughs> what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? <laughs> you get in touch with me by semaphore, although possibly Twitter would be better, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B R A D. L-E-Y. We'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.